that awful sound? That's the sound of me, trying to smooth down the seams between two pieces of drywall. On the weekends, I volunteer with an organization called West Street Recovery. Today, we're helping a family in an area of Northeast Houston rebuild their home which flooded during Hurricane Harvey. To start with, no, you are not listening to a rerun of some Harvey relief effort story. Today, March 18th, the day we are working on this house, marks seven months since Harvey hit Houston. And this isn't an uncommon story. We still today have homes, people living in homes that have not been mugged. That's Alicia Miles. She's a musician, mother of two, and the operations manager at West Street Recovery. Meaning their home, no one has come in and pulled out wet sheetrock, wet insulation. So now not only are they living in homes that haven't been mugged, but they're living in mold. Why are these people still living in moldy houses? Organizations like FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, have millions of dollars in aid to provide people who don't have flood insurance with money to rebuild their homes. Why, in a highly developed, wealthy city like Houston, are people unable to get access to the help they need? And why am I, a useless college student with zero construction skills, trying to hang sheetrock? The answers to these questions is complicated, and as I would come to discover, is tied to a deeper story of inequality and racial disparity in Houston. It is also tied to the story of how West Street Recovery, a grassroots organization born out of Harvey, came to be. That's why I sat down with Alicia to figure out exactly why these problems exist in Houston and how West Street was formed. For Alicia, it all started at her doorstep after Harvey passed through her neighborhood on the south side of Houston. The minute the rain stopped, we go outside and we realize like there's a wall of water right behind our house. And the entire back side of the neighborhood is completely flooded. So we couldn't leave and you're just kind of sitting around. I got a six-year-old, I got nieces and nephews. Everybody wants to go outside and do something. So. I guess sitting on um, Facebook and social media, you see people that are connected to you or in your area, and what I was seeing was my zip code over and over and over again. So I was like, wow, these people, this is my neighborhood. This is my neighborhood. These people need rescue, and this is in my neighborhood. And so I'm just like, dude, what's going on? The idea was, okay, how do how do we fix this problem? How do we fix this problem? And of course, everyone was saying, good on Zello, which is this walkie-talkie app that everyone was using on the first Zello got a lot of buzz on social media during Harvey for helping volunteers and first responders coordinate rescues. And so Alicia started submitting names and addresses of people posting for help in her neighborhood on Zello. But she noticed something strange. I noticed that people, and I live on the south side of Houston, which is in a predominantly black neighborhood. So what I noticed was there were lots and lots of people that needed help, and there was no one coming to help them. Alicia noticed that whenever a volunteer or first responder would respond to an alert posted on the south side, other responders on the app would send them messages. The messages like, are you carrying a gun? Which to me was just like, okay, that's cold for, oh, that's dangerous, don't go there. Because if I tell you I'm going anywhere, if I say, hey, I'm going to go to the Heights for lunch, and someone says, you got a gun on you, it's like, oh, maybe I don't want to go to the Heights anymore. You know, so. Yep. The reason first responders weren't answering calls for people on the south side was because, if you guessed it, racism. So Alicia took things into her own hands. She stayed on the Zello app and started creating a list of all the addresses on the south side that nobody was going to. 
You know, I have my own list now. So I've created this list, names, addresses, phone numbers, and I go through my list and I call all of the people first. Are you still in need of rescue? Yes. Do you, is there anyone disabled? Are there any medical... Alicia called everyone on her list to find out who was still stuck in their homes and who needed help. But she was still stuck in her house. She needed help. And for that, she turned back to social media. So I literally got on Facebook and was like, hey, this is what's going on on the south side of town. I need anybody with a boat. Meet me here. And I just gave out my address. Like, if you got a boat, come to my address tomorrow morning and we can we can dispatch rescues. I ended up finding a channel. Of course, it was the Southside Houston Rescue Channel, and it was completely empty. There was no one there. There was no one coordinating rescues. There was no one dispatching. And I just hopped on the channel. And when I got on the channel, I told anybody, you know, I was sharing the information via Facebook, via social media, hey, get on this channel. If you have rescues in the south side of Houston, this is where I want you to send them. If you have a boat or you're interested in helping, I want you to get on this channel, download this app. And that next morning at like 6 a.m., I just started getting calls. So Alicia started coordinating rescues all over the south side of Houston. Without the Red Cross, without FEMA, without the Cajun Navy, Alicia utilized social media and the resources in her community to get what needed to be done, done. Eventually, the same dispatch that was coordinating rescuers for the Cajun Navy's channel came to my channel. And when she came to my channel, at that point there were me, there were three other women of color who I've never met. We were real-time updating rescues, calling people, coordinating, and, and we cleared over 75 families from the south side of Houston. What Alicia means by clearing is getting families who are trapped in their homes to safety. But those 75 families, trapped in houses filled with rising sewage, with no access to food, water, or supplies, they might have been trapped for days, waiting for the larger relief organizations to reach them. Had it not been for our efforts, they may have been gotten to, but when? Because at this point in rescues, there was, you know, this ridiculous whole time for 911, and they were at this point where we're publicizing, hey, if it's not an emergency, just sit tight. You know, it's one thing to be stuck in your home and the water's coming in, and if you're getting 8, 10, 12 feet, and you got to get on the roof, that's one thing. But there's another thing to be in your home and you got four feet of water and a newborn. You know, and you're running out of formula. So it's like some people are like, oh, it's not an emergency. And it's like, what do you mean it's not an emergency? <laughs> She's got screaming newborn. Alicia's work didn't end after the water went down. She, along with that team of women she mentioned, helped coordinate the distribution of food, water, and supplies in her neighborhood and the surrounding areas. Then there was mucking and gutting, ripping out carpet, drywall, soggy furniture, plenty of work to be done, and a long road ahead. It wasn't long before someone put her in contact with Andrew Cobb, a guy who was doing the exact same thing she was, only on the northeast side of Houston, operating out of a house on West Street. And a friend of mine, who's also a friend of Andrew's, called me and was like, hey, you need to meet these cats on West Street. I need to connect y'all. I was like, okay. So he introduced me to them, and we just... Like, it just, we just started working. Like, you know, it was just one of them things. Like, you just show up and you start working. Like, you just show up, I'm, I'm on the phone, and I'm just coordinating, and we're getting stuff done. So Andrew, Alicia, and a whole crew of volunteers they had snowballed together along the way continued the work. Andrew started a GoFundMe, and soon donations began pouring in. 
People rallied around what we were doing and gave us enough support financially to continue the work. And so we were able to sit down and look and say, okay, look, we got this much money. Let's legitimize this thing. Let's just make it an organization and let's keep going. And that's what we did. We just kept going and we're still going and people are still sewing into what we're doing and we're still sewing into the community. All this time, Alicia was working another full-time job at an attorney's office. Andrew ran his own small business. Nobody at West Street was formally trained in social work, flood relief, or knew a thing about rebuilding houses or applying for aid. I guess in a relative manner. I'm an activist. I'm a musician, so of course it's perfect, perfect segue to be an activist, right? <laughs> Nothing else better to do. You might as well stand for something. You know, you're just, you're just a starving artist. No, I'm joking. But so I'm a musician, I'm an activist, and I've fostered kids for a very long time. And to me, that is another way of disaster relief. It's, it's rescuing children from, you know, terrible situations. I've, I've been very active in my community, and it literally just kind of, it came out of nowhere. It was just seeing something that needed to be done and just doing it. This kind of learn-as-you-go-along, using-what-you've-got mentality is what keeps West Street alive. And it's the kind of mentality they hope to instill in the communities they work with. This is the nature of the machine that we run. It's very reactionary. I think for us, the long-term goal is preparing communities so that when this happens again, they don't have to wait, not even for us. Like, they're already prepared. They know what to do. And they're not waiting on the police. They're not waiting on fire. They're not waiting on FEMA. They're not waiting on the city. They're not waiting on the state. They're counting on one another. Today, West Street works with over 150 families from all over Houston. And they get new cases every day. But what's even more remarkable about West Street is that, despite its ad hoc beginnings, it is propelled forward by a unique mission and philanthropic philosophy. And we say all the time, like, we work in solidarity. We, we're not a charity. We can't afford to be a charity. We don't have that kind of money. We don't have an endowment. Nobody here is, like, extremely rich. We work in solidarity, which means that we're going to do what we can, but you got to help us. you got to meet us halfway. So there are families where we go out and we help you rebuild your house, but your husband built this house from the ground up. So he's showing us what to do, and then he's going to come with us to the next house, and he's going to help us some more because we, you know, we, we provided the materials for this one. So then he comes to the next one, and he's showing them how to do it. And then from there, those individuals are helping, and they, oh, you speak Spanish. Well, we need some Spanish speakers to communicate with some folks over here. And so now this community, they're getting to know each other. They're talking to one another. They're going in their houses. They're working together. They're, they're building this community. And I think that that is so, 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 so important and such a big part of what we've decided to do as an organization, man. I think that's where all these other organizations are missing the mark because it's to create and build this community, you create a space where people aren't dependent on us. Like they're not dependent on West Street for their help. They can call on each other. So this all makes West Street sound like some kind of miracle organization. Neighbors helping neighbors, bringing the community together, empowering people to take their community's problems into their own hands. But this still doesn't explain why people are stuck in moldy homes seven months after Harvey. When I pressed Alicia about why so many people on the northeast and south side of Houston weren't getting the aid they needed, her response was harrowing, although perhaps expected. FEMA pays out on a praise value. So my home was built in the 60s, and I never did any any sort of refurbishments, right? I never came in and remodeled. I've been living in this house the same way since the 60s. So when Harvey flooded these homes, 
female employees came out and they appraised the current value of this home. So if my home got six feet of water, three bedrooms, one bathroom, FEMA gave me nine grand to redo my whole house. Have, does that sound feasible to you? Does it sound possible? No. Absolutely impossible. It's impossible to repair a three-bedroom, let's say, maybe 1,200 square feet. You can't fix that much of a house with nine grand. These families and the people that did get FEMA money got max nine grand. That's the most we've seen. The biggest and the most concerning part of that for us is these people are living in these homes and they have not cleaned out wet and moldy materials because they, they, they can't be sure that they're going to be able to put them back. And I can't promise them that we can put them back. That's why when you drive through areas like Lakewood on the northeast side, you pass by rows and rows of moldy houses, or houses that have been gutted out but were never repaired. Wealthier communities in Houston, places like West University, the Galleria Memorial, and Boulevard Oaks, don't have this problem. The houses in those communities are usually new construction or recently renovated. Alicia told me that her friend in Cyprus got 26 grand from FEMA to repair the first floor of her home. Plus, wealthier areas of Houston receive more public funding for things like irrigation and draining systems that prevent flooding from reoccurring. This is why Westry is focused on more than just flood relief, because the communities they work with are at a systemic disadvantage. West Street also does a lot of work advocating for these communities behind the scenes. But in the day-to-day -day relief efforts, they try to empower community members to help themselves and each other whenever possible. For example, whenever they buy materials or hire someone to do electrical or plumbing work, they always source it within the community. If I talk to a former electrician, why are you a former electrician? Well, I lost all my tools. Okay, well, we have direct aid, so I can take you to the hardware store and let's buy your tools so you can get back to work. You know, as a matter of fact, let's buy your tools. And I got a house I need you to work in over here. Can I also pay you to come work on this house and do some work over here? And so these are, these are the important parts of what we're doing. We're not hiring outside people. We're not, you know, going to other contractors. We're not, we're, we're in the community. We, we were given, I always say, we were gifted this community. <laughs> That's why West Street's motto is solidarity, not charity. They don't want to go into areas like Lakewood, hire a bunch of fancy contractors from out of town, and then leave until the next flood hits. Sourcing within the community not only keeps money and resources from leaving the neighborhood, it also strengthens bonds between neighbors. It brings people together, giving them a voice, giving them hope for change. And that's why I'm here scraping away at a wall with a construction worker and a neighbor teaching me what to do. Is this terrible? No, 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 no. I'm, uh, you're, you're okay. See, like, with, with, uh, for the screw? Uh -huh. If my time with West Street has taught me anything, it's that you don't need to be the perfect solution. You just have to be willing to pick up whatever tools you have and get to work.